How do you feel when you hear about God's judgment or justice or punishment? I think for many of us it's something we're a bit anxious about. We're not so much anxious about judgment itself, but it's it's not something we want to think or talk about. Maybe you're anxious about what people might think if they knew what Christians believed. God's justice might make you feel angry. Angry because you've had an experience with smug, fire and brimstone types who seem to enjoy this topic a bit too much. Angry because you feel it's unfair. You might be confused. How does punishment fit with a loving God? Today we're starting a series in the book of Micah. Micah is a prophet of the Old Testament and his message has loads to say about God's justice and judgment. His message has lots of bad news about destruction coming from the hand of God. There's lots of other stuff in here too, but this is a big theme. But today, as we hear a message of God's coming punishment, I think we'll be surprised about the feeling that comes with this message. Micah lived about 700 years before Jesus. Now, to get the the picture, the context, King David lived around about 1,000 years before Jesus. So it's been 300 years and lots has happened. One of the biggest things that happened is that the nation has split in two. So just a very quick understanding of the history. You've got David and then his son Solomon is the next king. And after Solomon, the nation splits in two. There's a civil war. Uh, The northern ten or so tribes become known as Israel and their territory is in the pink up the top and their capital city was Samaria. The southern one and a bit tribes become known as Judah. They've got the blue space and their capital city was Jerusalem. So the northern kingdom is Israel, uh, capital city Samaria. Southern kingdom is Judah, capital city is Jerusalem. Uh, Micah comes from a town in uh, the southern part of the kingdom, sorry, southwest of the promised land, in a town that was part of Judah. So he's in the southern kingdom. And here you go, here's a photo. It's not from Moresheth, it's from Lachish, that's mentioned later in the chapter. But that's the kind of country Micah is from. And although he came from the southern kingdom, God spoke to him about the situation in both nations. So have a listen to verse 1. This is Micah 1, verse 1. The word of the Lord that came to Micah of Moresheth during the reigns of Jotham, Ahaz and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. The vision he saw concerning Samaria, so that's the capital of the northern city, so it's actually talking about the whole of the northern kingdom, and Jerusalem. Uh, In our Bible studies this week, we had a look at these three kings, the reigns of Jotham, Ahaz and Hezekiah as they're recorded in the Bible. Uh, This week, it was pretty hard going in our Bible studies. There was lots, beg your pardon, lots of strange names. But we saw that in Micah's time, it was a time of wealth and economic growth, but also growing international turmoil. 
During these kings' reigns, so during Micah's lifetime, the skirmishes between Israel and Judah kept going. They formed various alliances with other nations in order to increase their military strength. Uh, during this time, and it'll come up later in Micah, during this time, uh, uh, Judah, the southern kingdom where Micah is from, it asks the, uh, the growing empire of Assyria for military support because of the growing threat it was facing from Israel. It's a little bit like we've got some tensions with New Zealand And so we go and say, hey, China, can you help us out? And no surprise, in the end, this backfires on Judah. So there's lots more, though. We can go into the context. We can't do that today. That's a a plug for joining a Bible study group because in Bible studies, we've got more time to dig into these things. But that's some of the background about the, the history, the time, the place of Micah. But we're here today to listen to the message. What's God's message for his people at this time? Well, in verse 2, the message comes and it's not good news. Uh, This message is going to be about God's people. It's about Israel and Judah. But it's a message everyone needs to hear and pay attention to. So have a listen from verse 2. Hear, you peoples, all of you. Listen, earth and all who live in it, that the sovereign Lord may bear witness against you, the Lord from his holy temple. So even though Micah lived more than 2,700 years ago, this is God's message to you and me today. Even though Micah lived on the opposite side of the globe, this is God's message to the people of Gympie today. So listen up. What's the message? God is coming and it's going to be serious. Verse 3, look The Lord is coming from his dwelling place. He comes down and treads on the heights of the earth. The mountains melt beneath him and the valleys split apart like wax before the fire, like water rushing down a slope. Uh, Last week we heard from the book of James and we had the encouragement to come near to God and he will come near to you. Uh, Drawing near to God, coming humbly to him for forgiveness is a smart move. Because we know God loves to forgive and make sinners his friends. But here in Micah, it's not so much uh, people drawing near to God, but God's coming down. And the whole world will feel his terrible presence because God is the great and holy one. In verse 3, there's a searing put down. In the ancient world, high places were where the gods lived. The reason people put idols and altars on the top of mountains is that's where the gods live. So you go to the gods to sacrifice. This is a photo of a high place. It's not one in Israel, but it's from the other side of the Jordan in Petra. And here's a better photo, a better angle of it without the poses. This rock was used as an altar for worshipping the gods of Petra, uh, the Nabataean uh, people who, who lived there. Uh, you read about high places all through the Bible. Even today, we talk about having mountaintop experiences. But did you hear in verse 3, Yahweh, the God of Israel, he doesn't live in a high place. 
He has to come down from his dwelling even to get to the high places where the gods of the nation lives. The God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the God who speaks through Micah, the God who's speaking to us today is so much greater than any of the idols and false gods that the other nations worship. And when he comes down, the earth will melt. Which is what makes the sin of Israel not only stupid, but wicked. Have a listen from verse 5, where we find out why God is coming down to punish. Uh, Verse 5 says, All this, so the destruction of verse 4, is because of Jacob's transgression, because of the sins of the people of Israel. What is Jacob's transgression? Is it not Samaria? What is Judah's high place? Is it not Jerusalem? That last line's damning. Jerusalem is the location of the temple of Yahweh, the temple of the one true God, but it's no longer that. It's become nothing more than a pagan shrine and just another high place. After this overview in verse 5, in verse 6, the focus is on the northern kingdom. Uh, The northern kingdom is going to face God's punishment because of false religion, worshipping idols. Verse 6, Therefore I will make Samaria a heap of rubble, a place for planting vineyards. So it won't be a city anymore, it's just going to be farmland. I'll pour her stones into the valley and lay bare her foundations. All her idols will be broken to pieces, all her temple gifts will be burnt with fire. I will destroy all her images." since she gathered her gifts from the wages of prostitutes, as the wages of prostitutes, they will be used again. Sometimes we think of God's judgment as being at an arm's length. But Christians don't believe in karma. God's judgment isn't merely that what goes around comes around. It's not that you do the wrong thing, then in the balance of the universe, bad things will happen to you. No, God personally punishes He comes down from his dwelling to personally enact justice. In verse 6, I will make Samaria rubble. I will push stones into the valley. I will raise the city to its foundations. This isn't such is life, what goes around comes around. God is directly, personally involved. Because sin is personal. What's the sin of God's people? They've worshipped idols. They've worshipped the false gods of the nations in pagan ways. Uh, That's what this reference to prostitution is. Prostitution was a common part of idol worship in the ancient Near East. Uh, Now you might feel God's going a bit over the top. All this destruction, personal punishment, just because they're following another religion and worshipping in a different way. Surely God shouldn't care what religion you follow as long as you're a nice person. Well, first of all, because of their false religion, they're not nice people. We'll see that starting next week. But the objection, it doesn't matter as long as you're a nice person, fails to understand the relationship between God and his people. It fails to understand love and commitment. A friend comes to you in tears because they've just found out their spouse has been unfaithful. You don't say to them, 
hey, hey, what's the big deal? They're a nice person. They feed the homeless and they don't even have a library fine. Unfaithfulness, it's, it's not just a, not much big of a deal. No, breaking faith is traumatic. And the Bible makes that kind of comparison over and over again. When God's people worship false gods, it's breaking faith. It's turning their back on the God who rescued them and loves them. And because of this sin, God is coming in judgment on Israel and against Judah, against Samaria and against Jerusalem, because Jerusalem is guilty of the same sins. Verse 9, For Samaria's plague is incurable. It has spread to Judah. It has reached the very gate of my people, even to Jerusalem itself. And so just like in verse 6, where we heard about the destruction of Samaria, her stone walls torn to their foundations and pushed down into the valleys, from verses 10 to 15, Micah says the same kind of thing, but this time about the southern kingdom, the towns of Judah. In fact, these towns are all from the area Micah grew up. One commentary I read said, all the towns mentioned in verses 10 to 15 are within 15 kilometres of Moresheth Gath. Micah's message isn't like watching the news about hearing some disaster happening on the other side of the world so you can just change the channels and, and watch something else. No, Micah's message is, God's judgment is coming on my people, on my friends and my family. Now in these verses, uh, most Bibles will have footnotes for the places mentioned. And the footnotes will explain how there's puns or irony or rhyme as Micah declares God's judgment. So in verse 10 it says, uh, Tell it not in Gath, weep not at all, in Beth Ophrah, roll in the dust. And the footnotes in the NIV say, Gath sounds like the Hebrew for tell. And Beth Ophrah means house of dust. So the irony in what he's saying is, don't tell it in the town of telling. And in the house of dust, roll in the dust. And he does things like that the whole way through. But even if you don't get the details, the big picture's clear. God's punishment is coming to Judah, to the southern kingdom, and it's going to be devastating. So let's continue from verse 11. A pass by naked and in shame, you who live in Shafir. Those who live in Za'an will not come out. Beth Ezel is in mourning. It no longer protects you. Those who live in Maroth writhe in pain, waiting for relief because disaster has come from the Lord, even to the gate of Jerusalem. You who live in Lachish harness fast horses to the chariot. You are where the sin of daughter Zion began, for the transgressions of Israel are found in you. Therefore you will give parting gifts to Moresheth Gath, that's Micah's hometown. Uh, the town of Akzib will prove deceptive to the kings of Israel. I'll bring a conqueror against you who live in Marsha'ah. The nobles of Israel will fly to Adam. Shave your head in mourning for the children in whom you delight. Make yourself as bald as the vulture, for they will go from you into exile. If Micah was speaking to us in Gimpy, he might have said something like this. Now, please excuse me, this is... Pretty dorky. The prophet did much better than this, but this is my go. 
Things are grey at Rainbow Beach. Tin Can Bay is blowing away. Bopple is going to topple. You're going to get stung in Gimpy. And that's my kids tell me Gimpy is named after a stinging nettle. You get the picture, don't you? And another plug for Bible studies. We're going to look at each of these place names in the Bible study this week. But the question today is, why is Micah doing this? I mean, my version is cringeworthy and laughable, but I don't think that's why Micah's doing it. He's not doing it because he likes bad poetry. He's doing it to make his message memorable. So, for example, every time you mention that town of Beth Ophrah, you're reminded God's punishment is that they're going to roll in the dirt. They're going to put on dust as clothes in their mourning at God's destruction. And when that day comes that Micah predicted, you'll remember what God had said. But there's another thing going on too in this list of places. Uh, The first and the last places should ring bells from the life of David. In fact, the start of verse 10, tell it not in Gath, that's the beginning of David's song of grief when he hears King Saul and his son Jonathan had been killed by the Philistines. And the last line, the mention of nobles fleeing to Adullam, that's the place where David and a ragtag group of outlaws fled from Saul before David was king. The point is, those low points in David's life, we're going back there again. But this time it's worse. Because it's not only the king who's died, but the whole nation. And there's no anointed king ready to take the throne. And this time it's not going to be the down and out hiding in Adullam. It's the brightest and best, the nobles who are fleeing from God's punishment. Things are going to get bad. So far we've seen God announce judgment is coming and it's personal. It's because his people have turned their back on their God and worshipped idols. But the question we started with is, how should we feel about this? In the centre of this chapter, we read the surprising way Micah responds. It's surprising because he knows Israel and Judah deserve punishment. They've turned their back on God and worshipped idols, and we'll see in the coming weeks how that sin has spilt out and impacted weak, vulnerable and defenceless people. God is personally punishing and it is deserved. But in the middle of this chapter, there's a lament, punishment, but through tears. Verse 8, because of this, I will weep and wail. I will go about barefoot and naked. I will howl like a jackal and moan like an owl. Uh, Despite these animal references, these aren't crocodile tears. This is serious distress. But who is distressed? Who is the I saying they're weeping and wailing? It's Micah, it's God's prophet. Just before Christmas, we read Jonah together. Micah is the opposite of Jonah. Jonah got angry about a tree dying, but didn't care about 120,000 Ninevites being destroyed by God. 
He didn't want them to repent and receive God's mercy. He wanted them to get what they deserved. If Jonah was writing Micah 1, there'd be no weeping or wailing. But Micah laments the coming judgment. But more than that, these words are, what does Micah 1.1 say? The word of the Lord that came to Micah of Moresheth. These are God's words. Micah is expressing God's heart. God isn't cold or callous in his judgment. He personally punishes, but through tears. And if it feels wrong to say this about God Almighty, Jesus reveals this to be true. Uh, Luke 19.41, as Jesus approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. Jesus weeps over the punishment that's going to come on the people who are about to kill him. This is the heart of God. Last week we saw God's love is real and intense. James 4, 5, or do you think scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? Michael 1 tells us God's real love and compassion means he judges with tears in his eyes. And this fits with his judgment being personal. I will make Samaria rubble. I will push stones into the valley. I will raise the city to its foundations. God isn't pure will. He's not a robot. He doesn't dispense justice through an algorithm. No, the people God punishes are precious image bearers. And so even though punishment is good, And right, it is also terrible and should be mourned. And this is why Jesus went to the cross. At the cross, God's justice and mercy meet. At the cross, his love is satisfied. As through the death of Christ, God saves the people he loves. As Jesus receives the punishment our sin deserves from the very hand of God. The judgment that Israel and Judah would face in history, we'll discover through our time in Micah, that punishment Micah's talking about will come as the Assyrians and Babylonians invade and conquer. But God's punishment isn't limited to that historic moment. As verse 2 says, the whole world should sit up and listen. We should take note of what God did because it points forward to the final judgment that we'll all face. The question for you and for me is, how do you respond? How do you feel about God's judgment? Do you have a heart that breaks, that mourns and grieves because God's right and perfect judgment is coming on those who reject Jesus? I don't think many of us do. I think we have apathy towards God's judgment. We don't care. That might be because we don't lament at all. We think Christians should be happy all the time. 
maybe we need to learn to lament all sorts of things, including the lost. A lament doesn't just mean to feel sad, it means taking our sadness to God. In our culture, we hide from strong emotions, especially grief. But we live in a world that is broken by sin. The creation is groaning. There is much to grieve. Maybe we need to reconnect with our hearts and learn to lament. Maybe we don't lament because our hearts have gone cold. It's actually too painful to look at the reality of God's punishment straight on. Because the grief we're feeling is about someone we love. A parent, a child, a friend, a spouse who died without Christ. And we just, we just don't want to go there. It's risky and intense to go there. But I think Micah encourages us to take our grief to God. And I think we need to because one of the things that will drive us to reach our region and speak to our family and friends about the hope there is in Jesus is the reality that Jesus will return to judge the living and the dead. If we don't care about the fate of the lost, why would we bother telling them about Jesus? So how do we do this? I think we need to allow ourselves to reflect on the reality of God's judgment, to meditate on heaven and hell and teach our hearts to know this eternal truth. We need to allow ourselves to feel, to grieve and to celebrate, to cry and to sing, and to allow others to feel and to learn not to be uncomfortable when we're at church and people's hearts are full from what God has done or is doing. We need to not fall off the horse the other side and try to manipulate or orchestrate emotional responses. But that I don't think that's our risk at the moment. Our risk is we try to suppress it. We're uncomfortable with strong emotions, but the Bible isn't. When the emotions are genuine and grounded in truth. And so I think we need to pray, don't we? Pray for God to change our hearts to grow our love and concern and to break our hearts for the lost. So let's let's do that now. Let's pray. Father God, please give us Micah's heart. Give us your heart of compassion. Please help us feel the weight of the truth that punishment comes because of sin. And we know that we have all sinned and that every person is destined to die once and after that the judgment. Help us feel the weight of of this truth. Help us feel the weight of this for ourselves if we haven't turned and trusted in Jesus. If we know your salvation, help us feel it for our family and friends, for our world. Make us a church that celebrates when a sinner is saved and mourns for the lost, begging you for mercy and going out to speak with bold love about Jesus. We ask that you change our hearts And that through us you'd be pleased to seek and save many who are lost. Amen.